Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 189 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Carla Reitig and Kristen Harbison, uh, of the Maryland League of Conservation Voters. Carla Reddig is the Executive Director of the Maryland League of Conservation Voters and has practiced environmental law with the Coastal Louisiana Restoration for the National Wildlife Federation. She's also practiced environmental law for the Environmental Integrity Project, Earth Justice, and the Tulane Environmental Law Clinic. Kristen Harbison is the political director of the Maryland League of Conservation Voters and is a former staff member for the Maryland House of Delegates Committee on Environmental Matters. She's also the former state services director for the National Conference of State Historic Preservation Officers, is formerly with the Preservation Maryland and formerly with the USS Constellation Museum, which is a 18th century ship uh, currently docked in Baltimore City. Uh, Kristen, Carla, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Good, thank, thank you. you. Excellent. The first question I'd like to pose, let's start with Carla, is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Um, So currently as executive director of Maryland uh, League of Conservation Voters, we work to promote strong environmental policy at the state level. So we work with the environmental community in Maryland um, to put policy in place to address the Bay cleanup. Um, We work on climate change legislation. Uh, We work on plastics pollution and other types of trash issues. Um, We work on agricultural pollution issues. Um, So we really take a broad view uh, of the environmental um, problems in Maryland and work to solve those problems at the state level. So Maryland does encapsulate a significant portion of the nation's capital. A lot of uh, Marylanders' attention, therefore, is focused on federal politics, but you're focused here in Annapolis on the Maryland General Assembly. Why, what's so important and different about state legislatures, um, especially in light of Washingtonians' interests in the national scene? What's going on on the state level here? So we can actually get things done in Maryland, <laughs> and we do get things done. We um, have strong climate change policy. You can say the word climate change, and people um, don't necessarily uh, um, question your science. Um, you can. Uh, we care about the Bay, and we're passing strong legislation. So right now, with the, the politics so polarized in D.C., more and more people are turning to the state legislatures and saying there are places where we can get things done, where we can make um, strong policy, mm-hmm. bipartisan policy, and Maryland is one of those places. So uh, as a political director, Kristen, um, you're involved in dealing with uh, local pol- with politicians and with doing the whole political process. Are you finding uh, the Maryland League of Conservation Voters, of course, is involved in the endorsement process, um, but are you finding that increasingly there's more competition from different special interest groups and that different political candidates are having uh, difficulty with trying to balance out priorities with different special interest groups, or how are you seeing it evolve with the greater attention on the state level uh, that Carla just indicated? Well, when you're talking about candidates, you're talking about people who are not currently in office, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's harder to really sort of pin down. Would you call an incumbent a candidate? Uh, yes. Okay. But so I've really anyway. been working. I've been working with the Maryland League of Conservation Voters for about almost, just under two years, so I haven't been through the endorsement process on a state level uh, with uh, with Maryland LCD yet. But the but I'll say that there are. A lot of competing interests in 
just in the halls of Annapolis with getting anything done. Uh, and there's a lot there. Everybody's got their own agendas and everybody's got their own issues, but they really, the legislators really just want to know the facts. They want to know the science. They want to know the background. They want to know who's supporting it. They want to know what the impacts of the legislation is. They want to know how uh, it will affect their uh, it will affect their constituents. It will want they want to know how it will affect the state. They want to know how well, how it's been done elsewhere. So while you, and that's the kind of information that we provide, and that's what a good lobbyist does. The interesting thing about you is that you actually worked for former chairwoman Maggie McIntosh yeah. of the Environmental Matters Committee. I say mm-hmm. former because she's now chair of the Appropriations yes. Committee. Yes, and I worked for her for one year in Appropriations Committee as well. So obviously in the halls, especially in environmental matters, you saw the League of Conservation Voters. How did, how were, what was going on? How were they being received in environmental matters? And how did that, how did that, I guess, compare with other interest groups that were seeking to <laughs> be effective down there? Well, I mean, the, I wanted to come and work for Maryland League of Conservation Voters because I respected them um, as a staff member. Uh, I respected the work that they did. I respected the uh, the approach that they took towards very practical uh, compromise and uh, and finding finding good middle ground and working with as many different agencies and as many and trying to really find the good solutions uh, to real problems and advancing and pushing the cause forward. They were. I came to work for them because I really like them, and I could have, you know, there are other, a lot of other groups, environmental groups, that I also respected. Did you guys admired. work together when you were on different sides of the table? Um, I definitely knew of yeah. Kristen, of, yeah. um, and of course, we, uh, the chairwoman was really important to, to mm-hmm. our work, and so I had met Kristen um, and was... Um, we had had a longtime political director uh, leave to go uh, work for SEIU, um, and we missed her, uh, miss her greatly still. Um, but cr- we wanted to find someone who really knew the General Assembly sure. and could help us navigate that and had established relationships, and Kristen fit the bill. So you guys have really uh, a long list of accomplishments here from uh, you had program open space, you had smart growth in the 90s, 2005, Chesapeake Bay restoration, healthy air, 2006. Clean Cars Act of 07, Greenhouse Gas Reduction Act of 2009, the Stormwater Management Bill 2007, septic legislation, the list goes on. You've had achievements on a local level, you've been, you have plenty of achievements on a, on a statewide level, you just got a fracking ban statewide in the state of Maryland. Can you tell me a little bit about how you identify these priorities and then how do you go forward and actually build a coalition and convince legislators that their vote needs to be aligned with your policy interests? So I want to give a ton of credit to our colleagues. Um, we have a very strong environmental community in Maryland, and we uh, we talk to each other and work together. Mm-hmm. So we, as an environmental community, sit down together and look at uh, what everyone wants to work on. What are the problems? Mm-hmm. What are uh, the pieces of legislation that we could advance to to address those problems. Um, and then we have coalitions of different issue areas. We have a climate coalition, a water coalition. Um, and so we um, they put forth pieces of legislation. And as an environmental community, um, we get together and determine um, what really makes sense for that coming session and how we're going to work together on it. So um, the fact that we have a really strong environmental community in Maryland puts that list um, in perspective. We're lucky. We have people that care. We have the resources to tackle the issues. Um, and we offer Maryland LCV, um, our uh, lobbying services, our uh, political um, 
tools such as our hot list, which we send out every week during session, mm -hmm. um, identifying bills, and our scorecard at the service of the environmental community. Uh, so you mentioned your means to your end, I guess the fun funding base. Now, Maryland is a very progressive state. When compared with the other 49 states, we often are a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of environmental legislation. You certainly could do worse in Maryland. That's right. <laughs> so when you're looking at donors, I guess, how do you make the pitch? Because on the one hand, sure, you want to have model legislation that, that can be, you know, that can ripple across the, 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 the nation and have repl replication legislation in other states. But on the other hand, if you really want to get your dollar, you know, the, the most bang for your buck and get your dollars, dollar further, um, would you try to get the lowest hanging fruit and do something kind of that's a little bit easier to do um, and, and that already exists in Maryland in another state? How do you convince donors to say, you know, you really need to invest in Maryland, which, yes, we're good, but we can be better? Um, so we, this is something that I, I deal with um, pretty much every day. Um, and we also, uh, we're part of a coalition of other state leagues and, um, and National League of Conservation Voters. So we have these conversations all the time about um, how to, where we should be investing resources as a league movement. Um, so Maryland is good. Um, we have we have had these strong pieces of legislation, but we're seeing some pushback now, um, and we shouldn't be seeing that in Maryland. We uh, we had a long term fight over stormwater fees um, that some people will say uh, had a big impact on the last gubernatorial election. Mm -hmm. um, we've uh, we've seen. Um, pushback. We, we did get the, the fracking moratorium, but we had our uh, renewable portfolio standard, the, the, the bill that requires um, utilities to purchase clean energy. That was vetoed by the governor. And so really, you can't have a state like Maryland where we should be making progress, where we can be making progress, where we have to be fighting um, rollbacks and we have to be, um, we have to be pushing harder. Like, we need to put into place um, a legislature and uh, champions at every single level to make the ultimate progress that we can to make Maryland the leader and the shining beacon in the country that it should be. And right now, we're, we're having to, to fight to do that. So, Kristen, there's... Uh, so, on your endorsement questionnaires, in the very top, you, it leads with, and I know that ha you haven't been here for the endorsement process, but... the. You, the coalition, Not for the state level. I, right. I, would, I uh, spearheaded the endorsement process in Baltimore City. So the coalition um, is interested in good governance. Yeah. And obviously greater political participation um, directly by citizens uh, would, I mean, well, I'd like to ask you, would that diminish the influence of special interest groups such as the League of Women Voters, uh, sorry, the League of Conservation Voters? The reason I ask is, you know, if you take the perspective of a politician, why should I listen to a special interest group and try to get their endorsement? I would like to get that endorsement. You know, it would be, uh, it would indicate to the voters, you know, but if the voters are more engaged and there are more voters actually voting and there's an increased voter yeah. turnout, then I guess I could vote, go directly to my constituents who are calling me and, and I can vote the way they want or feel sure. their opinion. And in a way, special interest groups are kind of a stand-in for constituents. So if you have more voter participation, does does that diminish the influence of special interest groups? It's, you're... Um, citizen lobbyists and citizen activism is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. uh, and and having citizens contacting their delegates and contacting their senators and contacting their councilmen and contacting their elected officials at every level is incredibly important. And mm -hmm. people should be doing it all the time. Um, 
they are and uh, and having and people should be voting whenever and as often as there is an election they should vote absolutely without question but that's but uh, when you're talking about special interests it has a it it has a negative connotation who are paid to lobby and paid to be uh, in the halls also serve a uh, different somewhat different purpose mm -hmm. um, than than in terms of being the people who can help provide uh, context and subject matter expertise and helping to get answers to specific questions that the legislators have. Mm -hmm. um, we're also an important part of the process of government governance. Um, they are, uh, you know, we we help them get the answers that they need. We help them get the message. We help corral and help uh, provide information to the, uh, especially groups like Maryland LCV, we help provide information to the constituents of the districts to get them to be participating and letting them know mm -hmm. uh, what's happening, um, giving them more information. There's Because there's a flood of information. There's a fire hose of information out there and trying to de decipher what is what you should be paying attention to, uh, the members of different organizations look to groups like us to help them understand, to help them uh, sort of focus on what is important. I just want to add that um, we're only strong as an environmental community because we have people on the ground. Um, we have the citizens and the constituents who would be voting. Um, so we we use um, our membership and we talk to our membership about what they care about, and we communicate that to the legislators. Um, we we are only strong as strong as the number of people that we can get to to um, contact and to vote. And so um, we we are encouraging everyone to vote, uh, and we see that as only increasing our power, not decreasing it. So. The legislative session in, in Annapolis is only three months a year, and yet you guys are in business all year round. So, and I know you mentioned that you were engaged in the Baltimore city elections or county elections. I'm not sure if you're engaged in those or not. Um, but, of course, elections are only from time to time. There's mo most of the time there is no election. Um, so how do you engage your your membership throughout the course of a year, especially given that elected officials have had such difficulty engaging citizens, right? Is it easier for special interest groups to engage citizens or is it th than it is for, for politicians? What are, you, what are your thoughts on engagement, especially in light of low voter turnout? Um, so we, we do a number of different programs um, to connect with people and to, um, to get people involved. Uh, we... Uh, we, we do have the legislative session, um, and then we do a scorecard where we educate um, folks on what happened in the past legislative session. So we put that out. This year we'll be putting it out in September. Mm -hmm. So we use that as an opportunity to say, hey, this is what happened, and this is um, – and we have another – few months before session. So let's let's tell your legislator that you, you know how they did and what you want them to do. We also do a series of what we call legislative previews where we, um, we invite people to hear about what's going to be coming up and we um, connect them with their elected officials. Um, we, we don't work we work at the, um, the county level in Anne Arundel and we're going to be working in the Annapolis elections 
We worked in Baltimore City. Um, but we are looking for opportunities to connect with people year-round um, on educating people about the civic process. Um, we also have a, a very active program called CHISPA, which is our Latino outreach program. And they are developing a model where they go into communities, find um, leaders, cultivate leaders, uh, do a, a civic engagement lesson, a series of lessons, and um, we provide the support for them after they graduate to uh, get involved in their community, and we see it as um, cultivating leaders who will ultimately uh, get their, their folks involved and excited and not us coming in and imposing our will. You also mentioned the importance of diversity um, in terms of demographic diversity. Uh, well, I guess I'd like to ask you, what does diversity mean to you, and why is it important for the League of Conservation Voters to include diversity as a priority uh, in the electoral process? Well, our, our elected officials should represent the way, what the state looks like. Uh, they should represent what the what their communities look like. Uh, Maryland is on the cusp of being a majority minority state. Uh, there are and uh, so having, uh, especially a, gr a growing Latino population, um, and so that is important that there be people who in who are elected officials who represent and who are come from the communities that they are representing. Have you found that individuals who represent different parts of the state uh, vote differently than individuals who don't? Well, I think that people... For instance, do men vote differently on, like, oh, women's I issues? Don't, I or? don't think you... I don't think that... I think any time you try to generalize like that, it's mm -hmm. not... It, it's always going to be problematic. Mm -hmm. But I think that having... Also, it should be said that there are fewer women serving an elected official, elected office at every level of Maryland State than there were 10 years ago. And so what would you hope would be the impact of having more women in office? Um, well, I think that, I, I think that whenever you have, a, when you have women reflecting, that women bring a different, a different perspective they, than men do. I mean, it's just, it's always important to have as many different voices and as many different kinds of voices at the table as you can. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I think women do vote differently as on on issues as often as general rule. They tend they, you know, you look at uh, that uh, in in the federal government. That's the you look at evidence that you know, stories that show that women tend to work more collaboratively at the federal level certainly than they do. Um, it, but it's it is important that the legislature look like their constituents. Mm -hmm. Women are half the are women half the population. Yeah, and there's a difference between um, sort of whether it's the right thing to do and whether um, it's the thing that um, will help us win, and we look at both. Like, I think it's the right thing to do, as Kristen has said, to have um, support candidates who are reflective of Maryland in their communities. Um, but you also, we also have polling data that shows that um, women, Latinos, and African Americans um, tend to support our environmental agenda um, um, as a rule, uh, you know, more than... Um, than frankly other um, other groups, and so uh, you know, for us to um, as a as a group that cares deeply about environmental legislation and environmental policy, um, we look to people who are on our side um, and want to engage and turn them out. And then we also obviously um, 
educate and want to bring other folks along with us because um, we think our policies are right, um, but we also um, see it as a winning strategy. So I'd like to delve a little bit into your personal motivations for being involved in this organization. So feel free, either of you, to just reach out and describe you know, some of your backgrounds. We have environmental law, we have historic preservation. What really is motivating both of you to, to be here, to be part of the state politics and, and, and to advance environmental causes? Well, so I have a, sort of an odd resume uh, that sometimes takes some explanation to get from how I get from one to another, because my background, my actual education is actually museum education. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to, uh, but as I've got looked at, I've always been interested in politics, and I've always been interested in, uh, in the environment, and, and, you, and historic preservation um, can't exist without environmental conservation. They can't. It's not possible. Uh, they, have to, they have to work together. And I feel like it's... I want to do my, what I can to bridge communities and to uh, help people to talk to each other and to make the world a better place. I like waking up in the morning and knowing that I'm doing something that's making the home that I cho- where I chose to live stronger and better and safer and cleaner. And... You know, life better for for everybody. It makes me feel good about my life that I can do, that I can wake up and do this every day. I'm incredibly lucky to get paid for something that I just love. Yeah, um, and I get to do spreadsheets all the time, which is super fun. <laughs> Um, and I grew up in Montana, um, one of the most beautiful um, places on earth, and uh, environmental conservation was important to me um, from from that experience. And then I became interested in politics at a very young age and was actually a Senate page um, for Senator Max Baucus back in the 80s. Um, and I came to D.C. and lived, here for ni- uh, lived in D.C. for nine months, uh, and it was a very formative experience for me. Um, I went on to, to study law. Uh, with the intention of getting into politics, but was um, sidetracked by environmental litigation um, and uh, went to to Louisiana to, to teach students how to litigate uh, environmental cases um, and came to this area after Hurricane Katrina um, and made my home in the, the D.C. area, uh, but I still had a passion for Louisiana and worked on that issue for a number of years. Um, to, but eventually wanted to work and um, live in the same place. <laughs> and I, was, I, I lived in Maryland. Um, it was my adopted state, and I wanted to, uh, to bring my skill set to Maryland, and this position opened up and was perfect. And clearly you're very effective in this position at the Maryland League of Conservation Voters, but as you mentioned, you once even considered running for elected office yourself. Why persuade others to vote as you would like instead of getting out there and running for a seat in Maryland in order to have your own voice being heard articulating your own agenda? In oh, I don't think I ever said I would, I would run. I have never considered running. Why um, not? Um, because <laughs> I, I find my skill set um, to, um, to be on this side, the advocacy side. Um, it's, I, I think I, I am effective, and I think this is um, a really... You fundraise? I, I do fundraise. You have an issues platform? I, I do. I have all of that. Um, I also live in a district um, where it doesn't probably make a lot of sense for me to run right now. Um, we have a lot of good representation there. Um, but we have a lot of areas and in a lot of offices where, um, where we need new, fresh voices um, and where we need to support our current champions. And so I can use my skill set to support others. Um, I find people um, who run to be very inspiring, and I want to do everything I can to support that. 
Well, that has been uh, Carla Reddig and Kristen Harbison. Uh, Carla being the executive director, Kristen being the political director of the Maryland League of Conservation Voters, Carla having years of experience practicing environmental law, uh, Kristen having years of experience um, both in preservation, historical preservation, also in state politics in the Maryland General Assembly. And uh, Carla and Kristen speak about bridging communities and a, and a lifelong passion, dedication to uh, political uh, activism, uh, having both found their home in, in environmental advocacy, advocacy uh, this, uh, they're, they're very engaged in both the political process and the advocacy process um, on the issue that clearly they're very passionate about. And of course, everyone does live in an environment and everyone does breathe air and drink water and walk on land. So it would seem uh, that such issues are very basic to the very essence of, of being human. So uh, that really is, is there a reason uh, for being the uh, cause of public service, which is to make the world a little bit, uh, the world's environment a little bit cleaner and better for all of us. So, uh, Carla and Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, thank you very much. And this has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.